This is AI Podcast, not artificial intelligence, agency intelligence. Our team's going to be 10 times stronger than all the other teams. A platform for agents. When people think of niche marketing, they're thinking so small scale. In real life agencies, sharing their thoughts. All you need to do is get in front of more people. To transform an industry. Better coverages, uh, better pricing, just better everything. Real. The difference between givers, takers, and matchers. Agents. I guess I took a slightly different path coming to the agency. I know a lot of agencies. You can partner your clients with those companies that are looking for that specific target market. This is AI Podcast. Are you ready? I am. Let's go. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Agency Intelligence, where I give you real agents inside real agencies, giving you the real agency intelligence and not the artificial that they try to make you believe out there. This is Cass and I'm back with you. I know you're excited. It's the reason why whatever you were going to listen to today, you saw that this podcast was on the assignment. Jason Cass and Scott Howell. Scott, how are you doing, brother? Man, I am the best, Jason Cass. I hope you are today. I am fired up about being on your podcast. Uh, yeah, I uh, well, it's this is way overdue, way overdue. Absolutely, thank you very much for coming back down. Anytime I can get anybody from Alabama, that's always <laughs> a good time, and I mean that. Bradley Flowers, but also I got another buddy. You probably know him there, a uh, Boyd McGee. Mm-mm. I don't know if you know Boyd McGee, but Boyd, Boyd McGee's out of Talladega Insurance Agency. Uh-huh. He is actually they have record that he might be the second oldest um, agency. In America, mm. and he has a dollar bill, a Confederate dollar bill, on his wall. His agency opened in 1862. Wow. And it is a, a Confederate dollar signed by Robert E. Lee, mm-hmm. who was insured with his great, 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 great grandfather who started the business. So it was kind of crazy. Yeah, right? That is, that, um, is, that is an old... That may be. You may be right. That may be one of the oldest or the oldest in the country. There's one up in, I think, like Maine or New mm. Hampshire or some shit like that that's way up there, right? Yeah. It's like Plymouth Rock. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, right. Let, let, before we get into that, let me say this. Okay. When I consider you the OG of insurance <laughs> podcasting, when Bradley and I we're talking about doing a podcast at that time you were pretty much the only game in town as far as insurance podcasts mm-hmm. and i can remember going and listening to a few of your podcasts just trying to get a flavor for what what is this going to be like because mm-hmm. i've never podcasted before but uh you know it was you and i didn't know each other at all i remember running into you in 20 i think 2018 down in new orleans in a hotel lobby yeah getting ready to get on the uh uh, the elevator elevator. yeah Mm -hmm. and i I spoke to you very briefly and you know you were like hey man it's a pleasure to meet you but i got to get somewhere like right now i think you were going to some meeting something you were doing but (laughs) for 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 neon for neon Neon, that's right that's what it Mm -hmm. was that's exactly Mm -hmm. right so it was it was an honor to get to meet you down there because in my mind you know you were you were the first out of the gate man you were you were the one that broke the door down and and decided and and I know we probably don't want to get into all this today but at that you know you were talking about uh, on your podcast you were doing technology you had that pod that breakout podcast where you talked about the big eye one time and it was like I got four or five messages within an hour you got to go hear this you got to go hear this. 
But I just appreciate you having me on your show. And I, I, I tell you what I really appreciate about you, Jason, is a lot of people don't have the maturity or the self-awareness or the just just whatever it is to not be a little pissed off when guys like Bradley and I start a podcast. I could see some people being, you know, having a case of the red ass. You have always embraced us. You have always been uh, positive and very complimentary and very supportive of us and what we were doing. And I just can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you being that way rather than, you know, throwing off on us and this is a bunch of rednecks from Alabama and why are y'all, you know, why are y'all even doing this? Uh, you've just always been very supportive of us, and I really, really appreciate that more than you know. I greatly appreciate that, and I really do. I heard uh, Bradley tell me something one day um, similar, and thank you very much. Um, I said it from the very beginning. My goal was that we had 10 podcasts. And that was like mm-hmm. in 2013, 2014, because if we're using a podcast to create forward momentum with other people's voices, like if I can amplify that 10 times. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for coming along. That's no doubt. Um, and uh, and you guys have a different flavor for how you do things. And I mean, seriously, I, I think our audiences overlap, but I don't think by as much as a lot of people think. Uh, no. There's a lot of people I talk to that have no idea who you are. And then I talk to people who listen to you and they're like, who the hell's agency intelligence? And I got to be honest with you. This is just egotistical, but I'm like, how in the hell are you in this a- in this industry listening to podcasts and you don't know who one of us is? It, just doesn't, <laughs> make, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but anyway, right. I mean, I don't say that with a big ego. I just say that um, I think that Bradley talks about it about a lot. It's not about downloads. It's about impact. Mm. And, and that's important to know. Um, I think it's all ratio, right? If every hundred people that listen, I create impact on three of them. Well, how do we create more impact? Let's get more downloads or more people. But thank you very much for what you guys do as well. And um, I truly enjoy listening to you guys. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. That's not what I do. Do you listen to a lot of podcasts? I listen to sporadically. I will listen to at least one insurance podcast a week. And that is usually I try to rotate them Mm -hmm. from the different people in our in our sphere. Mm -hmm. So last week I listened to a podcast from Ryan Hanley. Uh, With he he Sharon? No, it was it was one it was one the one with the guys that are starting uh, Obi the the habitational stuff Mm -hmm. that they're doing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Yesterday I listened to a Mike Strom. Mike Stromso UPP podcast that he just came out with about hiring good people. Okay. Uh, next week, it'll probably be you. And so what I try to do is keep mm-hmm. one podcast in rotation a week. Um, you know, I think, I think it's good to hear what everybody's doing. And, and no matter which podcast you listen to, no matter who the host of the podcast is, as long as it's within the insurance sphere, okay, you can always learn. I always learn something from every single podcast that I listen to. Maybe it's only one or two little things that I pick up that I write down, jot down, keep it in the back of my mind, think about it for a while, and then either implement it in our agency or maybe it's a new technology that I have my agency manager go look at and say, is this something that can help us? 
Is this mm-hmm. is this a technology that could benefit our agency in some way? And uh, so that's just what I that's just what I do. I think they're meant to mold. Podcasts are meant to mold just like books. I was talking with somebody, and this is funny, but this is how the person is. Um, he is kind of new to reading over the right. last two to three years, right? He's in his mid-30s, and it seems like all the stuff he reads, he's really excited about it, and he talks to me about it a lot, and I'm like, dude, I've been reading since I was like 15. My mom ingrained it on me. I've read a lot of books. This kind of stuff makes sense. And then whenever I would talk about a book that I had read with him, he would say to me, so why aren't you doing it? Mm-hmm. And then we would talk about another book and he would say, so why aren't you doing it? And after a while, I had to say to him, listen, if I did everything every book said, (laughs) I would be all over the place. But it's molding me. It's shaping my brain. It's creating those little freaking tubes or tunnels, they say, that that work through our head. That's what it is. And it's the mixture of the thousand that brings me. And I think podcasting's the same way. Mm. We're not trying, as you said, I like what you said, you're taking a couple things, you're listening, it's molding, you're taking some back to your staff. So I think that's good. But let's get on with this. Go ahead. Are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user? Droid. Holy shit, I did yeah. not know Bradley that. Bradley likes to give me a ration of shit about that at least once a month that I'm a droid guy. But That uh, son of a bitch gives me all that shit for being a droid guy and his best freaking co-host is a droid guy. Listen, listen. Now I feel like we have a connection. Dude, listen. Here's the thing. He'll give me shit about being a droid guy and then inevitably some Apple thing that he's using will break down and I'm like, Bradley... You wouldn't have that problem if you just had a droid, you know, uh, but, but, you know, here's the thing about, about life. Okay. Yeah. As the older you get, you realize, you know, people fall into one of two camps. They're either an Apple person or a droid person. It's a lot like politics. You're Mm -hmm. not going to change their mind. I have always said this. The, the three or four most committed, loyal customer bases in America. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them out by Come name, on. and I'm going to rank them. Now, the number one most loyal customer base in America are people who use crystal meth. People who use crystal meth love crystal meth. They do. They freaking love it. I mean... If somebody uses crystal meth, you are not going to get them to change their mind that crystal meth is not good. They they love crystal meth. They're going to convince you that can- <laughs> right, right. Number two, iPhone users. If you are an iPhone user, there is no chance in hell that anyone will ever convince you that true. talking to trying to talk them into doing something else is impossible. That will not happen. That will not happen. Number three, USAA clients. Dear heavenly God, if you ever call, cold call someone and the words come out of their mouth that they are a USAA client, just hang the damn phone up. Get off. But And I'm going to tell you something else about USAA, and I commend them for this because – I, when I figured this out, I was like, that is the most ingenious thing I've ever heard of. So in their CRM system, once they sign you up as a USAA customer, if you were former military, yeah. in their system, it has your last rank that you were when you were in the military. 
So let's say Jason Cass was a staff sergeant in the Army. When you call USAA to make a payment or you have a question or you got a claim, they address you as Staff Sergeant Cass. That's pretty And legit. I'm like, dude, that is the most brilliant freaking thing. People will not change simply because they like calling USAA and hearing, Staff Sergeant Cass, how are you doing today, sir? And they're right. like, you damn right, I'm Staff Sergeant Cass. But those are the three most loyal people in the world. Crystal meth users, iPhone users, and USAA members. And here's the thing. Psychiatrists and drug programs can get people off of meth. It's very hard, but it can happen. Correct. And then you could even say that there have been agents that have convinced people to leave USAA for maybe whatever reason it can be. But you can't get those iPhone users. Dude, There's nothing that fixes it. Never. Not They're never. Just, yeah, I think maybe it's Misery Loves Company. You think that's a little bit of a, of a mixture? I, well, and here's the uh, here's the other damn thing about it that I just can't figure out. Every time they come out with a new iPhone, they've got something that you can no longer use with the iPhone stuff you had. So you got to buy all new stuff. And, it's and not, you see, they came out with widgets a uh, a year ago. Yeah. We came out with those in 2011. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and, you know, hey, you know that plug you've been using for six years? You're not using that no more. You got <laughs> oh, 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 and by the way, when you buy that new iPhone, it ain't gonna come with a plug, so you got to buy that extra. I know. So it, it's I know. just, it's just crazy. I have it never, I have never seen anything like it in my entire life. It's, it's crazy. Unbelievable. Uh, droids changed their. Um their thing i think one time and it was to the new one that they have and they had to do it because they it, it, it's a battery that needs more juice right, right. that USB C or whatever so yeah. anyway straight geeking out on you loyal listeners but i know you're enjoying this um what's the last app you downloaded scott mm, um i believe the let me look on my phone because i want to make sure i'm telling you the right thing uh oh you're gonna love this because <laughs> i'm sure you've seen this on uh social media but uh, Viola, Viola, yep, Viola, yeah, V O I L A. And my wife comes in the other day and she goes, You got to download this app. And I was like, Okay. And I was like, What is it? And she's like, Well, it takes pictures and it turns your picture into a cartoon picture. And you're seeing these all over the internet now Facebook, yes. Instagram, where yes. people take this picture of themselves. But it's V O I L A, and it's uh, Viola or something. I don't however you pronounce that. But that that's the last app that I downloaded last weekend. And then of course I had to spend an hour playing with it to take all the pictures of everybody I know and turn them into cartoon characters. So that was pretty cool. I bet you that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> I like the, that. Yeah, that's the last app I downloaded. Do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Uh, love to win. I would say love to win. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I, uh, I don't think much about losing. I just keep going every day, putting one foot in front of the other. I've always said that insurance is a lot like working out. Uh, I don't like to work out. I hate to work out. But every morning I have a little home gym. It's not much, but I have a home gym at my house. And I drudge out to that gym and I go work out for 30, 45 minutes a day to keep me from beating the hell out of somebody and, uh, you know, hit the heavy bag and, 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 and work out for 30, hate it, hate it. Don't want to mm -hmm. do it. 
wish I didn't have to do it. And I feel like insurance is a little bit that same way. And just business in general is just showing up. Mm-hmm. Showing up and doing all the shit that you don't want to do every single day. I think that's uh, that's probably more than half of making it in this industry is just showing up. Consistently do the shit that other people don't want to do, yep. and you'll make money. You know what that's I mean? Right. That's that's a that's a that's a that's well said there. That's well said. Um, the other one, luck or skill, what's got you to where you are? If you had to choose one, buddy, a little bit of both. I think anybody that's successful, depending on. Uh, what your circumstances were when you got in the industry. I think that determines it a little bit, but I think, uh, I, I, I have, uh, I've thought a lot about this actually. Uh, anybody who thinks that they are just going to jump into the insurance industry as a 23 year old and just crush it the first two or three years, uh, you're wrong. That's not going to happen. And it takes a lot of, time and service to use a military term of uh, just figuring this whole thing out and then partnering and getting mentors in the industry. You know, the guys like yourself and David Carruthers and Chris Paradiso, you can shorten that time frame that it takes to be uber successful in insurance. If, if you will get with these guys that have already done it and, and, and are in the 20-year club or the 15-year club. So this is an Andy Frasilla thing. I I was listening to one of his podcasts, uh, I guess, six, seven months ago. And he talked about in every industry, there's the one-year club, the five-year club, the 10-year club, the 15-year club, and the 20-year club. And everybody's trying to get to the 20-year club. And... You can't start year one, two, or three and be in the 20-year club. That's just not going to happen. And so it takes wow. five years in this business. If you make it five years in the insurance business, more than likely you're going to be successful in it. Um, but you want to get to that 20-year club, and I think the only way to get there is to have some great mentors and coaches that kind of guide you around all those pitfalls and mistakes that they made at their 10-year period and their five-year period and and all the transitions that you have to make in this industry. Because when you start, Jason, you remember this, right? Day one mm-hmm. in insurance. Mm-hmm. Day one in insurance. Sell insurance like your freaking hair's on fire. That's and right. You, and you have to keep that mindset for five years to grow that business up to the point to where you can live the lifestyle that you want to live Mm-hmm. But then but then you get to this point that Scott's at right now, and I'm talking about myself in the third person, where you're 11 years in, you've got five agencies, 12 employees, and the things that I did year one through five, which was tell all my people, if you will just go sell insurance like your hair's on fire, everything else will take care of itself. It's true. You, ha- you have to... Uh, you, you kind of have to, to turn your fire and think about human resources more and managing people. And mm-hmm. I don't quote nearly as much as I used to, even though I still do a little bit of that, but not very often. Uh, vision statements. I've been talking a lot about this on my podcast. I mean, there's nothing I hate more than formal job descriptions, vision statements, all the stuff that you that that I kind of think of in the same terms as I think of like corporate America. Yeah. You know? And and so because there's that's the last thing I want is to be an agency that's like working for a 
for a corporation or working for corporate America. But at the same time, you have to have account, you know, accountability, following up and make sure that your people are uh, following the processes and procedures that you put in place, putting processes and procedures in place. We're in the Come middle on. of that right now. So yeah. it just things change. But uh, but I do think there is a little bit of luck that comes in into this as well sometimes like uh you know maybe getting a carrier that maybe helps you find a niche that you just end up running away with or uh maybe an agency comes available that you buy that turns out to just be a a rainmaker for you know stuff like that Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. like that that can happen yeah i was uh third fourth fifth weekend I'm coming back from getting my butt kicked. I'm I'm in commercial. I'm actually I'm I'm like two to three weeks in a commercial. I'm about six seven months into insurance, um, and I'm getting my butt kicked. And I stop. My wife is out of town. I stop at this local establishment and have a brew. I'm probably an hour away from town. That's not something I normally do, um, which is part of the story. I I, I go up to the bar. I decide to have a Bud Light because I'm in Bush Country or Anheuser-Busch country, and, and the gentleman sitting next to me is ends up being Clifford Matthews. Him and I sit there and talk for about two hours, um, and he owns Matthews & Sons Dirt Contractors. He sets me up with his wife I for the appointment. Uh, he sets me up. I go meet with him, and, or meet with her, and the first thing she says to me is she says, Jason, do you do railroad insurance? Because we do a lot of dirt work, but we do it for the railroad. I'm like, I'm like well, I, I can't imagine that can't be that hard, you know? And, um, my point is, is that I ended up, she said to me, she said, the reason is, is most time when we tell agents that we do railroad insurance, they just hang up on us. Right. Mm -hmm. So that told me something. That Mm -hmm. told me something. I was like, well, that's the kind of client I want. Right. Um, and then long story short, she gave me all her policies. All of them were, uh, real policies, except for the umbrella was fake. Mm -hmm. And, And what happened to be, it was a copy. And so I go back to call Hartford to see if the thing uh, matches. Hartford ends up looking at the uh, policy number. This agent had taken and typed in Mm. this fake stuff on Hartford for railroad liability and then had made copies and given it to the client. The point is, is that I was out an hour, two hours away from home working it, trying to do everything I could, didn't know my ass from the hole in the ground, stopped at a local establishment, could have been a Dollar General store, could have been a Brewski store like this one was, Um, had to take that chance, had to listen to her say to me, hey, this and that, and I don't write railroad contractors and go through all this thing, and ended ended up being about an um, $80,000 premium account Mm -hmm. that then I went and um, worked with them. And what I mean by that is I called Clifford and I said, Clifford, I want to go out on the railroad and I want to, when you guys are doing a job and I want to work with you, you know, so I went out there one day, worked for about four or five hours. My point of that story is, is I've thought a lot about a luck or skill. And I think, you know, there was a lot of luck that came in me stopping by that place. But I had to be out there, Scott, mm-hmm. right? I had to be out there working it. Right. I, I made a ton of phone calls to get that appointment that was over there, right? Mm-hmm. So I was working that skill. Um, but then I worked the skill on the back end to say, how can I get more involved so that this guy knows that I'm serious about this? That was one of my first niches. And then the work comp market absolutely dried up in 09, 2010. 
I learned something about niches. Having one is not always a very good thing. So, um, so anyways, let's keep on going on. I just love this because it is. There really is no – is if you put, have skill and you work your ass off, that luck will come. It right. really truly does. That's exactly right. Take me back to high school. Take me back to diapers, college. Bring me forward. Um, I think a lot of people who listen, obviously, to your podcast know your history. But in two to three minutes, give us the, the wrap-up, and I'll ask some questions about it. Real life Forrest Gump. <laughs> uh, graduated high school in May of 1990. Got a junior college basketball scholarship. Played juco ball for two years. Uh Got fired from my first job I had the summer of my freshman year at a feed and seed store because I said something under my breath about the owner's mom who had chewed my ass about something. And somebody told on me, and the owner comes in there and fires me, tells me that I'm never going to be successful in life, and I'm just a piece of shit, and blah, blah, blah. That was fun. Um, How wrong went to Went to Birmingham Southern, and – was not going to play basketball, joined a fraternity, was pledge class president of my fraternity, Theta Chi, and I had – they had this walk-on tryout thing that they did. And the day before it, I had actually turned my ankle over really bad. Like it was black, almost mm. looked broken. So I couldn't, I couldn't do the walk-on tryout thing. And so – my basketball career was over. I was done. And I was loading my car up to go home for Thanksgiving. And one of the basketball players at Birmingham Southern, uh, he was from Nashville. He actually played his freshman year in football at Notre Dame. He was uh, from Brentwood Academy, and he, he signed with Notre Dame in football. But he, he played there a year and then didn't – didn't pan out, so he came to Birmingham Southern to play basketball. We had a lot of Division One transfers to Birmingham gotcha. Southern, some of whom had – I think three or four of the guys we had had played major college football at one time or another, just didn't like it. Gotcha. Um, he comes up to me at my car and he goes, hey, Coach Rebold wants to see you down in the office. Now, at that time, in, uh, Birmingham Southern in basketball was a big fish in a little pond. We were always ranked number one, two, or three in the country – we played at least one or two big Division One games a year against people like Mississippi State and, you know, just big big colleges and usually right. gave them all they wanted. But uh, so I go down there, and sure enough, the point guard, who is a dear friend of mine who lives in Huntsville now, his name's Danny Servick, had torn his knee up. I think he'd blown his ACL out. And uh, he was going to be out for a time, and he's – I walk in this coach's office, and he's head head basketball coach, one of the most respected coaches in the country, and he's like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, our starting point guard just blew his knee out, and do you want to come practice and see how this thing goes? And I said, yeah, I'll, I guess. And so that led now your ankle's still big, right? No, no, no. This is this was back in the like when school started when that happened. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Very beginning of the summer, gotcha. you know, season kind of thing. So now we're in November. So they've been practicing and actually been playing some games. So I go, I go to practice. That that works out well. I start playing some um, for them. I stay on the team for two years. I earned a scholarship my senior year. 
Um, That's cool. So that was pretty cool. So so then I leave Birmingham Southern and did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I actually got caught cheating on a Spanish test my senior year and had to retake Spanish. Uh, that's a whole other story. But they tried to kick me out of school for that. God. Damn. And so, uh, yeah, proud, proud parents. You know, my parents were super proud of that. Uh, so I said, you know, you know what? Screw it. I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to go in the military. And my grandfather was at Pearl Harbor on uh, the day that Pearl Harbor got bombed. He was, he was oh. in the army. And I knew I had a lot of athletic ability, and I, I, I thought. Well, well, let me tell you what happened there, too. This is a hilarious story. I'm telling you, real life Forrest Gump. I was dating a girl in Hoover, Alabama, that worked at a tanning salon. Okay. Okay. The tanning salon was on the second floor of a little strip center that was two stories. And one day I was over there going to pick her up for lunch or something, and all of a sudden this guy that was about my size walks out of a Marine Corps recruiting station, which was below the tanning salon, mm -hmm. and he looks at me and he goes, you ever thought about joining the Marine Corps? That's all he said to me. And uh, that turned into me going into the de delayed entry program. I go to Paris Island the same day that I graduate from Birmingham Southern, I didn't wow. even go walk across the stage. I just took my final exam in Spanish, actually made a B plus in it the second time I took it. Um, and I, I, I go down to MEPS in Montgomery and, and uh, go into the Marine Corps, go to Paris Island for 13 weeks, and then go to – Gunslinger Anti-Terrorism School in Chesapeake, Virginia. Then I, you know, went to School of Infantry before that. And what year is this? This is in the late nineties. Yeah, no, no, no. This is ninety-five. This yeah. is ninety-five. Okay. And I get to Anti-Terrorism School in Chesapeake, and the United States Marine Corps has this thing called Fast Company, Fleet Anti-Terrorist Security Team. They have these all over the the country or all over the world, little teams. Of anti-terrorism and, and the thing is those guys are positioned different places so that they can be anywhere in the world in 24 hours gotcha. less than 24 hours but they are hardcore hardcore guys and i kept telling all the guys i was uh, we were we had this running joke during anti-terrorism school that scott's going to be picked to go to fleet anti-terrorism school i mean the to the to that unit Mm -hmm. because I was like, you know, real athletic, could run, jump, all that stuff. And I kept telling them, I'm not, I'm not going. I don't want to go because I could see what all these guys were doing. They were doing like running four miles with your gas mask on and all this crazy shit. I didn't want any part of that. So they get us in a school circle and they start telling us where we're all going all over the world. And they get to my name and they're like, uh, Lance Corporal Howell. Fleet anti-terrorism security team. Oh, shit. And my whole unit just jumps up and starts like, oh, we told you, we told you you were going full fast company. And and some people would have been happy about that and been, you know, been proud to have been picked, but I was not. I did not want to be a part of that. And it just so happened that there was a kid that got chosen to go to London, England for that duty and he was married. Well, you're not supposed to take a wife over there. It was a single duty station. Mm -hmm. 
and would they let us switch orders? Oh my! So God. he went to Fast Company, and I went to London. And uh, so I was there for eighteen months. I was actually only supposed to be there for twelve months. My commanding officer gets into a drunken argument with the British Royal Marines commandant guy that's like over the British Royal Marines boot camp who said that we did not have anybody in our unit that could go through British Royal Marine boot camp. And Uh, he said that y'all have lost your damn mind. I I got some people, I got guys that could go through that. And uh, so they get in this pissing contest. They send a kid that was like all state wrestler in Iowa down to this place, Limstom, Limstom, I think is the name of it, where the boot camp's at. He comes back in like two weeks. He tore his ankle up. Well, guess who was second in line to go down there to have to go through British Royal Marine boot camp? Oh, you're, Scott you're looking Howe. at him. Yeah. So I go down there and actually graduate from All Arms Commando course, which is a, a bridge diversion, abridged version of the British Royal Marine boot camp. It's like 13 weeks. And uh, so I got some notoriety about that from the United States Marine Corps because that was kind of a big deal. There's only been a handful of people ever do that, where they graduate wow. from both Paris Island and British Royal Marine Boot Camp. And then uh, finished out my time in the Marine Corps with 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines Weapons Company. It was an infantry unit. And, uh, and then one day, you wake up in the Marine Corps, Jason, and it's over. It's just over. And... There's a tradition in the Marine Corps where when you're driving off base for the last time, you take your boots and you tie the shoes, the, the knot, uh, tie your boots together and you throw them over the power line and you go home. And that's pretty much it. It's a very bizarre feeling to have done something 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 365 days a year for four years. And then one day it's just over. I bet you that is unique. It is a very strange feeling i bet so, you that is drove Going back 100 to, miles an hour huh? yeah drove back to alabama took me a day and a half to get back to alabama i drove all night to get back home and started my uh next life really mm-hmm. bounced around in different industries wasn't happy didn't enjoy anything i did and then just kind of fell into the insurance business like everybody else does you through know nationwide right Nationwide insurance. I sure did. And I was in a sales program with them for almost three years. And I became institutionalized because having been on a sales program for that long and having numbers to hit, when the when all that was over, I had become institutionalized into, I got to just sell insurance, sell insurance, sell insurance, sell insurance. So I just kept selling insurance, and then here we are today, pretty much. I mean, that's that's kind of how that happened. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast Certified. 
So you're with iProtect now, but now you are an independent, and um, a lot of us listeners know that. Um, and so when did you when did you meet the wife? Uh, well, I, this is my second marriage. I was married. Uh, I got married in 2001, about three okay. days before 9-11 happened. I was actually on my honeymoon in the Grand Caymans. And went downstairs to eat breakfast, and they were having, ironically enough, a United Nations meeting at the hotel where we were staying. Oh, wow. And all these people from the United Nations were gathered around televisions. And I was at the damn food buffet getting my scrambled eggs and waffles. And I walk over because you could tell there was, like, gasps of, like, (gasps) you know. And I walk over, and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And, you know, like everybody else, I think the first second or two, I, I didn't register like right. how bad it was. What is it, a Cessna? little Cessna? Right. That yeah, a little Cessna plane. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that all happened then. But, you know, we were married for give or take 15 years. And I'll be completely honest with you. I've mentioned this before. I think me starting my agency with Nationwide in 2010 – July 3rd of 2010 and and having to work weekends and having to put in the amount of work that I had to put in I 1000% know that I think that was a major factor in us not working out I think we both just kind of fell out of love and kind of went you know past each other in the hall and I'm I'm gone all the time working and she's gone all the time working and, and it Mm -hmm. just didn't work out, but I'm very happy now. I met my wife in 2017 and been married for two years now and gorgeous woman. Yeah. Well, thank you. And she has to put up with your shit. I I say that about me. Any woman that's willing to put up with me is one of the most beautiful women in the world. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so now we have eye protect and and we have insurance and stuff. Something I want to know though, what is how did you and Bradley meet? Oh yeah, well that was another story. So we come on. Uh, we we met on social media. He says Snapchat. I say Instagram. Don't know which. I liked his content. He was starting to put out a little bit of content back then. Uh, now remember back in that time I was still married to my first wife and we were taking a vacation down to orange beach alabama uh probably the first vacation i'd had in five years actually beautiful place and uh i said hey i called him because i'd called him on the phone and we talked briefly one time but i was at that time i was doing kind of a podcast on facebook called ask the insurance guy online and i was interviewing different people local celebrities and things like that on facebook and I called Bradley. I said, hey, I want to come down to your office and interview you. And he said, come on. So gotcha. I went down there. We sat there and talked for about an hour about social media. And as soon as I turned the video off, I looked at him and I said, dude, we need to start a podcast. And, and that's kind of how that, that started. And since that time, Bradley has become one of my best friends. We, we talk once or twice a week. Uh, I have noticed since the podcast started and he and I are now both independent agents and we're both running our own shops and he's no longer an employee agent, uh, our workload and our 
time together seems to get shorter and shorter. Um, we talk once a week, and it literally sometimes it's for like a minute and a half where mm-hmm. you know, he'll just call me and say, hey, man, what's going on, or I'll do the same thing. But we are both probably busier than we've ever been, and it's harder now, too, because I don't get to go down to Mobile for two or three days at a time and do podcasts. We were doing sometimes 15 to 17 podcasts over a three-day period down in Mobile. Yeah, you would batch them, hardcore yeah. batch. You guys aren't oh, batching them anymore? We're not, but it, and, and that's here lately, that's kind of been a little bit of a problem because mm-hmm. he's busy. He's got his marketing company that he's doing some stuff with and some other mm-hmm. things he's got going on. Bradley, Bradley's busier than I am. Uh, he, he's just got more balls juggled in the air. I'm more of a, I'm, I'm going to run this insurance agency. We're going to be successful. This is what I do. I'm not looking to get outside the box and go do like some other crazy shit over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's more of the entrepreneur spirit and he might be into this thing and that thing and doing this and going here and. So, so he's he's very busy, but he still tries to make time for the podcast. And he, you know, he's still a big part of it. It's just hard. It's just difficult. Yeah, and he makes time for agents as well. I yes. mean, so many yes. times I talk to people, and I'm like, hey, man, one person you may want to go talk to regarding this is Bradley, right. and they're like, man, I already talked to him, and I'm like, yeah, good, good, good. I will, and- I will say this, Jason. Bradley does a much better job than I do of starting relationships with people in the industry and cultivating those relationships, mm-hmm. staying in touch with them, good. talking to them on the phone, yeah. those kinds of yeah. things. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm like that horse in central park that has blinders on. Yeah. yeah. I do yeah. what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. 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 So what is, would you say would be something if you were listening to, if somebody was listening to this, they're new or whatever. And since going from captive to independent, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily matter, but what is something that you've learned in your business? Um, maybe today that you didn't know in the past, it's kind of like that one question. Um, if you could go back 10 years and tell yourself something, um, I only like to hear that because you have such a variety of a background in the bat in the, in the beginning that's molded you to who you are. But 10 years later, you're like, shit, I didn't know anything when I started, you know, we all feel that we don't, we all feel that way, you know? Um, and by the way, I started mine on January 1st of 2010. You said you yours go. was July 1st of July 3rd, July 3rd, July yeah. 3rd. Yeah. Right before Independence Day. I damn, that's not surprising. Come you know, military yeah. guy, big, big, uh, American spirit like you. What are some, what is one thing or as many as you as you want to give is somebody that's starting out or thinking about starting out and thinking, well, what would you say about some of that? Hmm. Let me ask you this way, Scott. What would you say that someone would do that has a relationship, maybe like you and your wife did, that would not want to go back down that road that you did? And maybe there was other things outside that, but you know and you said that that was a driving factor probably Mm -hmm. behind a lot of things like that. Do you believe in work-life balance or do you think it's a bunch of shit and you just need to believe in balance (laughs) in each individual thing? What do you think? I, I think that you have to communicate with your spouse mm-hmm. and and let them know how much time, energy, dedication that starting an insurance agency from scratch or less than scratch is going to take. Um, I think you have to have conversations about the financials part of that. I think that 
people who uh, don't communicate that effectively. And and here's the big one. Mm-hmm. Having a spouse that, su- that supports what you're doing. Both, and, and quite frankly, sometimes that has to be financially. I mean – you know, you're right. you're starting an insurance agency from scratch, and you got sixty dollars in your checking account. Gonna be tough. And your wife doesn't work. That's gonna be a problem <laughs> because you're gonna be living in a box underneath a bridge somewhere the first year. It's true. So, so there's so many factors that go into that, but I th- I think communication is key, and I think I w- I just did a poor job too of of uh, understanding. Uh, bottom line, I I think I was selfish. I think I was very selfish mm. in mm. wanting this agency to work and knowing what it was going to take and not communicating that with her and not taking the time to spend time with my family like I probably – my son was so young that he wouldn't remember that today. But I remember a lot of weekends, a lot of weekends I worked on Saturdays all day, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. And – not taking time to go on date nights and there you making go. sure that she understood that, you know, I still loved her and, and then that, you know, and, and being romantic and those types of things. The, 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 those are probably lessons that if I could tell anybody uh, what not to do, which I can tell them a lot of that is, man, you gotta, you gotta communicate with your spouse and let them know, Hey, this is about to be a tough, tough five years of sledding right here. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got a trust fund from your uncle for twelve million dollars, and you're, you know, or, or what, whatever the case may be, maybe you've saved three or four hundred thousand dollars yep. uh, from a previous job or something like that. Maybe, it, maybe it doesn't have to be that bad. But I was, I was not in that situation. I was mm-hmm. the sixty dollars in my checking account guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that is a very, very common story right there is the $60 and the checking account. And, you know, you talk about that. I love that being romantic early on. I mean, you sometimes, you know, it says in the Bible, and I'm not getting biblical here, but it says in the Bible that you can't have two masters. You're going to love one more than you do the other. Right. And I think that that's sometimes what happens to people like you and I who have passion, Scott, because we have passion about this business. Like I have a love. This is my baby. You know what right. I mean? And uh, and I have to remember, though, that without that support, there is none of that. I heard Grant Botma say the other day that he doesn't believe in work-life balance. And I think this is a new thought because, mm-hmm. you know, anytime as humans we start saying work-life balance or we say something consistently, someone's got to come out and say something differently. But I have to agree with what he says in that. I believe there's a good work-life balance, balancing between the two as far as time but then I believe there's a good balance inside of the family time, which means putting away the business. One of the biggest problems with mine. My wife had to tell me, I don't know, two, three, four years ago, she said, Jason, I love talking to you, but sometimes the reason why I don't want to talk to you is because we're always talking about your agency or our agency or the podcast or something like that. And that has to make you aware. You know what I mean? Let, um, let, it, let, let me say this, okay? Mm-hmm. And I want everybody that's listening to this to hear what I'm about to say. I have gone completely the other way with this. And what I mean by that is I've been in this business now for 12 years. And my North Star now, okay, my North Star is I want to retire or at least semi-retire by age 62, Okay. Now I'm working with Chris Brand, who is a you know oh 
great. Phenomenal. Yeah, right. I've, I've got an agency uh, partner, a business partner that's been with me for 10 years that I'm bringing in as an agency owner. I'm going to give him ownership in this business. Nice. But through that process, I told Chris, I said, one thing I have never understood about the insurance industry is you take an agency owner who has built this team of people that have helped him build a $10 million, $20 million, $50 million, $100 million agency, whatever it is. And he one day decides he wants to sell and takes the big check and goes home and, you know, Hub International now owns the agency. And I told Chris, I said, I want to set up an ESOP, employee-sponsored ownership program for all of my employees that have stayed with me for long term. Mm-hmm. And, and Chris said, well, you can't do it until you get to $5 million in revenue. The, the, the money just doesn't make sense. You, you've got administrative costs. You've got, you have to have an administrator, blah, 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 blah. So my North Star now is getting to $5 million in annual revenue so that I can create an ESOP so that all of my people who, who have been with me for 10, 15, 20 years, hopefully one day, we'll have an opportunity to own part of this agency. Love it, dude. And that is my North Star. And one of the things that I feel passionately about is I do not want to be the 75 or 70-year-old agent who we've only got, what, 10, what's the average death rate among men? Isn't it like 83 years old? Yeah, it's mid-70s. Women are in the 80s. Why the hell do I want to sit here and be doing the same shit until I'm 72 and then have like three years to enjoy my retirement or five years? You don't know. Nobody has a crystal ball. You know, I pulled up next to a guy that that made it to the Hall of Fame, uh, the Nationwide Hall of Fame. He was like, I, I was on the President's Conference trip over in Vienna, Austria a couple years ago. And I pull up beside him at a urinal in a bathroom after he's just been inducted into the Hall of Fame for Nationwide. Dude's like 70 years old. And there's no telling how much premium his agency had. No telling. Mm-hmm. And I'm over there pissing in the urinal. And I look over at him. He's at the urinal next to me. And I go, why the hell are you still doing this? What Good in point. the hell makes you want to get up in the morning and freaking do this shit every day? You, you know, I just... And his response to me was, well, you know, now it's kind of like an annuity and I don't really have to do that much. The agency's on cruise control and it's just like an annuity for me. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be that guy. I've gone the complete opposite direction. I want to get as far as I can take this thing until I'm like 62, which I'm almost 50 now. So that's only like 12 years. 12 years, yeah. And and then either go do something else in the industry in some capacity or go outside the industry and go do something else with my last chapter of my life, which really that's mm-hmm. what that will be is the fourth quarter. Right. Right. But I, I just don't understand these thousands and thousands and thousands of agents that want to stay in the damn insurance industry till they're freaking 75 years old. And I'm like, Jeez. Scott, I think Scott, I think they're full of shit. I think a lot of them that say that they want to stay in the industry 
um, are terrible business people. We know this. And that means that they can't even run their own lives. Okay. And I'm not saying I'm like Warren Buffett over here, but I understand simple concepts. And I think understanding what happens is, and this is, I think happens a lot, is, is, our, is, our, is our IRA is our agency. The problem with it is you get into your 50s and 60s and your kids get older and shit starts to happen and you start needing money here and there and you start taking loans out and all of a sudden, you know, it's 60, 65. It's like, shit, I got to continue to work. I think that happens to a lot of people. I also think it's just we make one hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars a year. It's easy to just get lost in the fact that this will always be that way. I really, truly do. I attribute a lot of it to just bad business people. And a lot of the agents that I know that stayed in this long usually got some kind of financial issues. You know what I mean? Now, I do believe there are those people. I was talking with Erin Neal um, on a podcast. And like, she told me, she's like, Jason, it's just weird. She's like, I'll probably die at the desk. Now I don't understand why they think that way, but they uh, well, do. Let me stop you right there. You're absolutely right. I think there is, if you had a pie chart, there is a group of agents that may be in the situation that you just described. Mm -hmm. I also think there is a large majority of agents who being their local insurance guy or girl turns into their identity as who they are as a person. Very true. And it's almost like the athlete that wants to hang on to pro sports, even though they're, they're, they're beyond their prime. And it's just who they are as a person. And they yeah. don't know there's this, this, this fear of, ah, what if I retire, I'm no longer the insurance guy or girl. And so they stay in it because it's who they are and it's what they know. And they're like, well, yeah. I don't want to go home and sit with, my, sit my, with my wife every day. That would suck. So that instead they just want to keep, you know, keep, keep going, keep staying with the agency until they die of a heart attack one day. Yeah, I'm going to put that into my notes here because I did a podcast back on this, actually. Um, uh, it was, uh, I, I, I took them down into three types of people. Man, this was like two, three years ago. And I said, there's those who, who are in the industry, they're going to die in the industry, they're, they're fine with that. Mm -hmm. There's those who are in the industry, but that's not their passion. Their passion is something else, but this allows them to feed that passion. Billy yeah. Williams tells me either your job should be your passion or your job should feed your your passion. Right. And then the third are, I'm just in here because I'm an entrepreneur and I realize that I can make some serious money, build something up in 20 years and I'm done at 50, 55 and I'm going to go get a boat and I'm going to become a professional fisherman. Right. right I mean, right. there's those type of people. And, and, and I don't think either one of those is wrong. No. I just think it's totally there. And it's, it's all about who that person is. Your identity thing though, is so right. That's because it's who they become, yeah. especially in small town America. I, hell, I know, I know a hundred million dollar agent, hundred million dollar agent that I saw on Facebook last week has just opened up an office in another office in South Alabama. He's bumping 70 years old and I'm sitting there looking at him in front of this another agency that he now owns that he's running that he's got two or three kids working in and I'm thinking, "What in the hell are you doing?" Why? Why do We're you not living forever? Do you, do you need more money? Because I know about how much you got, and it's more than you could probably ever spend. 
So, so to me, it just, just doesn't make sense. But hey, man, to each their own. To each their own. Do, that's what I'm, I'm with you, man. It. I'm selfish. I'm selfish. I mean, now if I knew I had two or three of these lives, let's take this baby all the way to the end. See Hell what we yeah. can do. Let's run you it, know? baby. Let's, let's run, run it. it. But, but no, I'm guaranteeing you, you don't. No, so anyway, don't. And, and 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 I just I just feel very strongly that. Because I've treated my body like Six Flags over Georgia, and I'm sitting here dipping while I'm talking to you on this podcast right now. Um, there's no way I, I there's no possible way I make it past 75. So let's say I semi-retire at 62. Let's run the numbers on that. So 75. <clears throat> let's say God's grace, I make it to 75. That'll be luck. Okay. 75 minus 62. If I semi, I, I'll have about 13 years mm-hmm. left. Yeah, thirteen years. Thirteen. Years. You think you think I want to be fucking fighting with, uh, you know, For seventeen dollar rate the, increase? The, the, yeah, the seventeen dollar. Yeah, the, the the the. Why is my you know why didn't this cover my deductible bullshit when I got thirteen years left on the earth? Are you freaking kidding me? Have you lost your damn mind? <laughs> You're right. Hey, what's something that you've heard that uh, customers told you that you're just like, what the hell are these people thinking? So let me, let me, let me, let, I wanted to give you a second just to think about that. Loyal listeners inside, we have a group. We have a Facebook, not group, it's a chat message thing. And it's called Podcasters Unite. And it's just all of us podcasters. And I just started it actually for us to share podcasting tips and stuff. And we never share podcasts. Never. <laughs> never. We just, we just tell stories. And about two or three times a week, you get videos um, from, from Scott. <laughs> and you never know what they're going to be, Probably. especially after the Capitol resurrection or insurrection. And sure. we, uh, it was a great one. But the other thing is, is we talked lately about creating a podcast of just, of just things that people say, like the questions we get and stuff like that. And I think it would be great. And loyal listeners, if you think this would be a great idea, reach out to Jason at agency-intelligence.com. Let me know about it. But Scott, any, any funny things as we wrap this up? Uh, any funny things you well, heard people say to you? This morning... This isn't funny, but this morning I am dead ass asleep at 4.45. This is 4.45 this morning. I get a call from this number. I'm sorry, 4.55. Des- Desmo McClendon, 256-660-9082. I have no idea who that person is. But my phone starts ringing, and I and I kind of half woke up, and I remember telling my wife this morning, I said, this some bitch's house better just to burn down to the ground if I answer this phone call. <laughs> so I answer the phone at 4.55 a.m. and there's nobody on the other end. I don't know if it was somebody pulling a prank oh on me or what. God. but uh, I, Dude, it's every week you hear something crazy from people. And a lot of times in the insurance industry, what you get is what I like to refer to as displaced anger. And what displaced anger is, is the body, you know, here lately it's been body shops because body shops, because of our supply problem that we have right now in the U.S. Uh, with parts being able to be delivered on time. And so the carrier will only give them a rental car for 30 days and then they'll extend it for eight days. And then the carrier's like, look, dude, we've done all we can do. We can't do no more. And they call me and they're pissed off because, you know, they're like, travelers, they should have extended my rental car for 45 days. Hold on, buddy. 
How about the body shop should have fixed your damn car in 38 days? How about that? How about that? It's it's dis it's it's displaced anger. It's anger. I like that. They, they right. projected on the insurance agency and myself or the carrier because and and then and then the conversation they never say anything about the damn body shop having their car for forty freaking days. They don't. You're right. You're and right. so I, I get a lot of that. I get a lot of uh, you know the independent adjuster's wife chewed his ass that morning and maybe they haven't had sex in a few days and the kids just got to. <laughs> you know, come down with a cold and he goes over to my client's house at 10 a.m. and he's pissed off because his wife just chewed his ass before he left the house. And so he gets out of the truck and he's a damn asshole to my client. And so now they're calling me and going, I don't know who you sent out. Like I'm sending adjusters out, you know, I'm I'm the guy. I've just got adjusters on speed dial that I'm sending to people's houses and, and he's pissed off because this adjuster's come out and he's been an asshole. And now I'm having to call the adjuster and just all I want to say is like, dude, can you not just think about you're kind of in sales like we are and, and you know, try to, you know, put on the smiley face. I know your wife chewed your ass this morning. I know you've had a bad day. I have friends. I have some of my dearest friends in the world who are insurance adjusters. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, when they come out there, don't start chewing that adjuster's ass because he can either be your best friend Damn right. or your worst enemy. That's right. And he holds all the power. Mm-hmm. So he gets out of the truck and you start telling him what he's going to do, <laughs> get ready. Or, or you can go the other way. You know, if it were me, I would have uh, Toll House chocolate chip cookies and some milk for him when he got out of the truck and be like, is there anything you need? Can I get you anything else? Um, but, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff that we mm-hmm. get. And then and then, yeah. there's, then there's always the five to ten clients that every agent needs to fire at the end of the year. And what I try to do is I call these people towards the Christmas holiday and let them know that I protect insurance is no longer selling insurance that we are, we're in the shutter business. Now we're going to start making awnings for businesses and they need to go get their insurance somewhere else because I would literally rather die of anal cancer than to have to deal with you one more freaking second. You asshole. That's, that's the kind of stuff Scott does. Because oh. because there are some people out there that if I handed them a freaking piece of gold bullion, they would start in on why they have to pay taxes on that. You know, there, there's always every year the five to ten clients Got that your, your agent, one of your agent producers accidentally hires, let's just call it what it is, hires into your agency that you're now on the hook for. Who is a complete jerk and and or nope. calls up? We had one call up um, two weeks ago and 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 start mfing. Told told probably one of the sweetest little girls in the entire world who answers our phones that she was a motherfucker. Now, ask me how about how long I'm gonna put up with that? Yeah. You know, I hate when that happens, but I got to tell you, I love when it happens only because the aftermath, because when I hear that happens, 
I'm now now I'm in my now I'm in my zone. Okay, how do I get this person on the phone? Or hey, put that person on hold. Uh, Jason's gonna talk to him. Yep. I gotta tell you, I like that a lot. Wrapping this up, um, uh, leaders are readers, and readers are leaders. Uh, you're a leader. I know you got to be a reader. What are you reading right now, buddy? <sighs> Let's see. I I'm not a reader per se, but I am. Okay. Let me let me explain. So I constantly read. I I've always been Tom Cruise in. Uh, cocktail. I, I I always think that this Love next that self-help book that I read is going to be the key to to my brighter future. So I have uh, I've read every self-help book out there that is available. I've read everything from Grant Cardone. I've read everything from Lee Dubois, Zig Ziglar. Uh, I just read the book All A W E. Great book, by the way. Uh, but I don't read them. I actually I have a lot of windshield time in my vehicle. I live about gotcha. 30, 30 to 35 miles from my office. So, you know, if I showed you what my Audible list is, it's pretty heavy. There's probably 150 books in my Audible download. Scott, you, you're able to digest a lot of books if you go 20 to 30 minutes each way. Correct. Correct. I, I said this before on another podcast, and this is only suiting talking to you about this. Um, I have a book right now that's mm-hmm. sitting on the back of my toilet. I'm one of those guys that takes the long ones, right? Right. About 10, 15 minutes every day of reading every day, I can get through a book in a, a month to a month and a half. Right. Now, I'm already reading. I'm an audible guy, right? right. But I always have this book on the back, and that's so I'm, I've got two books going at once, and it's amazing how that happens. So a lot of the producers that we have, we've bought audible for them, mm-hmm. and I've encouraged them, hey, you don't have to be a geek like me and listen 20 in and 20 out, but at least 20 a day. And they've started to do that. And it's amazing. Like one of the producers told me the other day, I started that in February and I actually just got through my second book. He hasn't read two books in one year in his entire life uh, outside of high school, right? Um, so I, I thought that that was pretty interesting. Audible is awesome, dude. If, you, if you're listening to this right now and you want to write triple the amount of insurance that you wrote last year, if you want to write triple the, that amount this year, go – Go to Audible and download 10X by Grant Cardone. And I have never met anybody in sales that ever listened to that book on audible.com and did not triple their sales that year. You know, I'm going to take you up on that, Scott, because I can't stand the son of a bitch. I really can't. I I just think he's a goddamn crook. I think he's so – I think he started in the right area, and And I think he's a hell of a salesperson. And that's when all this was written. I will will agree with you that it seems like over the past couple of years, Grant has turned into more of that what I call used car salesman guy that you see, and he's always got a – cigar in his mouth and he's getting on an airplane and all this other stuff. But that stuff he wrote back, uh, 2010, 2013 seller be sold 10 X by Grant Cardone, man, that stuff is gold. That, that, that's all right, I'm gonna get that. There's some great stuff in those books. I'm gonna get that. How about green light? You read that Scott? Have not. Have God, not. go listen to that. That's totally you, the way he tells stories. It's an unbelievable book. It's one of the best I've read in a long time. It really, truly is. Um, so then the uh, last one, as we talked about her before, your boo, 
You're probably watching Hulu, spending time on Amazon Prime, or getting kicks on Netflix. What are you and the woman watching at night? You know, when you're you're trying to camp out and you're trying to just veg out. What are you guys watching out there? We watch. Uh, we usually watch television while we eat dinner. It's, it's the only time I ever have to watch any television. I purposefully do not watch the news. Um, Makes sense. I, I just I just don't. You know, I, I don't believe that any one person or any uh, news type scenario is going to help me have a better insurance agency over here. I just don't think that's, that's true. true. Uh, we are eagerly anticipating, I believe it's June the 20th when Yellowstone starts back on its mm. fifth season. Uh, I'll tell you another thing that we watch a lot of is Naked and Afraid. You like that? Yeah, we do. We enjoy watching that. So we've Did you hear that recent one? I don't know if it happened and it hasn't been filmed yet or it showed, but the dude fell and like cut himself. Yeah, cut yeah, we actually watched that last night. Yeah, he he tore his uh his uh scrotum had to have like 14 stitches in his scrotum, but stayed on the show. And, and kept, kept going, going yeah. dude. And they thought that he was going to get infected, but I guess weeks afterwards, somehow he didn't. So he, that's that, that dude's like the godfather of, of naked and afraid. He's made every challenge that they've put him through. He's done. So, uh, yeah, we enjoy watching that, but yeah, we are eagerly awaiting Yellowstone season five. That's about to come on. So, do you think with Naked and Afraid, do you think there's any risky business going on on the side when the cameras are off? I think there have been a couple of people I've watched on there, and I thought uh, they probably hooked up either after the show or during the, the show. Now, I think I think when they're actually on there and they've got 7,000 mosquito bites and they haven't eaten in five days – that's probably the last thing they're thinking about is sex because they are so freaking miserable. Well, they haven't got you and I out there, Scott. So we would have to. <laughs> no, I'm gonna pa- I'm gonna pass on that. I did enough sleeping in the desert when I was in the Marine Corps. I don't need any more of that. But I bet uh, you did. But I, I, did. I, I just uh, I think you're so miserable when I you're bet. out there that it's hard. Maybe the first day you're as a guy, you see a lot of guys that are like, "Ooh, man, she's cute." Yeah. Maybe I can hook this up, and then by day three, they're like, I haven't eaten in three days, and I'm about to die. So, Scott, let me ask you another one. Let's talk about this. Uh, let me just ask you the question. So space, you think anybody's had sex in space? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure. You think so? Yeah, I'm sure there's I mean, it had to be, right? I mean, I, International Space Station, I mean, I, I don't know what the percentage male, female is up there, but you got to know somebody's had it. Got it. And even if you're not and like romantic do you get huh? a pass if you have it up there? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, even if it's like, hey, I'm I don't not even romantically attracted to you, but we got to be the first, right? right I mean, right. you gotta you gotta do it. So, anyways, that's funny. Never talked about that on a podcast. So, how do you guys <laughs> like that? Tell us what you guys think. Yes or no, Jason at agency-intelligence.com. This has been a long one. The long ones are always the best, and I greatly appreciate you coming on, Scott. I really do. Anything you want to say to wrap it up, buddy? No, guys, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening to this for an hour and whatever minutes that we've been on today. You know, uh, I just I just appreciate you, Jason, and all you do for our industry. Thank you. And you are, uh, like I said, OG. So uh, anything, I can, anything I can ever do for you, just let me know.
All right, fantastic. I will. I greatly appreciate you, man, uh, and all you guys do, and especially Bradley. Good, good, good connection out there. Yeah. Uh, he does so much for the industry, and I'm yep. pretty sure you're doing just as much for um, your team of, what you say, you have uh, five agency offices. Yep. So, I mean, hey, good for you. Scott, thank you very much. To all you loyal listeners out there, this has been Agency Intelligence, where I give you real agents inside real agencies, giving you the real agency intelligence and i do what i do because i do it for you this is cass he's Hal. we're out hey agents listen to this listen to this what are we terrible at think of it think of it really we're we're terrible at training right we're not very good at hiring we're not very good terrible at firing actually uh terrible at creating process and some workflows terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want and the list goes on and on now listen i'm an agency owner and I, you know how it is to to fix a problem the first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem here's what you do Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial. But you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.